Sorry, that was off-piste. This morning, I'm going to talk about a subject that is typically, and wait for it, unbiblically shunned. Ooh, what's he going to talk about? First, I want to ask a question. Uh, can someone give me one pound? One pound. One pound. I'm, I'm really real. Yeah, someone got one pound. Okay, okay, there's loads. Cool. One pound. Here we go. Oh, I should have clarified. I said give, right? Cool. Now, can you guess what I'm about to share on? Give? Giving. Awesome. We were praying about this term at the beginning of the term. We were saying, what, you know, really just asking God, what should we be doing? What should we be speaking on? And one of the kind of real things that came up is just to make space to talk about giving. You know, it's a really important part of, of, of what we do as church, but actually how we resource as a church, how we raise disciples in the church, is through giving. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and so what I want to speak about is, is about us cheerfully giving to the mission of the church, to the mission of St. Matthew's. And when I say mission, I want to make it clear, I'm not talking just about the type of stuff Santa is doing, you know, taking the gospel out. But, but also the, the mission of the church that is here. You know, everything we do is mission. Okay, Matthew 28, there, there's the great commission where Christ calls each and every one of us. Turn to your neighbour and say, that means you too. Yeah. Each and every one of us to, to go out, uh, to... to to, to share God's good news, to make disciples, to go out into our homes, to go out into our streets, to go out into our workplaces. Each one of us is on mission. This church is on mission. Does that sound good? Say we're on a mission. We're on a mission. Yeah, good. <laughs> and God's vehicle for his missional people, which is all of us, remember, is his church. God's church. And, and, and that's something that we uh, kind of build in this place. And then he, he says in Matthew 28, as you go, as you are going, you take out that with you. Okay, so we're all on mission together. And so when we encounter God and we teach on Sunday mornings, when we equip and pastor people through our life groups, when we disciple our children and our youth, when we heal our community, when we pray for our islands, that is God's mission at work through his people, which is all of you. Does that sound good? So everyone gets mission. Everything is mission. God's mission. Awesome. And when we talk about cheerfully giving to the mission of the church, I'm talking about a regular commitment of our hearts, of our gifting, of our time, of our passion, but not least also of our finances. To the running and the building of this missional community, St. Matthew's Church. Okay, that was my preamble. Let's pray before we get stuck into God's word. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us a mission, Lord, that we have a purpose, that you put this church in this place hundreds of years ago because you had a mission for us to fulfill. I thank you for the privilege of being part of the great commission, the great call of Christ that would see his kingdom advanced. And we just pray this morning as we look into your word, God, you would excite us for your mission and stir our hearts to give towards it. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to go to Luke chapter 9. Uh, <clears throat> and we're going to go to verse 10 to start with. I'm going to work through it bit by bit. Um, I hope you don't mind me doing it that way. Uh, so Luke chapter 9, verse 10. 
Um, and I deliberately wanted to start on verse 10 today. We wouldn't usually start mid-story, but let me read it for you. Verse 10, on their return, from where? Huh. This is the mystery. I'm keeping you on a cliffhanger today. On their return, the apostles told him, Jesus, all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So my big question, where are they returning from? What have they done? The clue was in the preamble, but we'll get there. Don't worry. Verse 11. When the crowds learned it, that they'd gone off, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them on the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. This is interesting. I can really imagine that the desperation of these people as they followed after Jesus. There's just been a huge amount of stuff done. Jesus has got his apostles, his disciples, he's taken them away, but the whole crowd follow him. There's, there's real need that, that drives people to seek out Jesus in what was called a desolate place. Something was motivating them and stirring them. We have a crowd of 5,000 men which means we're looking at somewhere probably between 10,000 and 20,000 people in total because they didn't count uh, the women and children in that count. Can you imagine, just for a second, being one of the 12 disciples with Jesus at that point? Imagine the crowd control on that day. Pretty epic, right? From my limited experience of that culture, I can tell you that personal space wasn't a done thing. That would have been a, a throng, a mass of people all pushing in to hear Christ. There was no PA system. They would have had to be close, okay? But not only sheer numbers, the, the need in that group of people, the, the diseases, the, the poverty, the desperation, the, the hopelessness of living under Roman rule. You know, thousands and thousands of people coming to Jesus in need. And it kind of makes me dizzy to think about it but then I open a newspaper and I see thousands of civilians dead in Ukraine hundreds of them children four million people uh, refugees from Ukraine into other countries there's record high fuel prices there's 15 million already living in relative poverty in the UK do you know I read a report the other day it says that one in six children are likely to have a mental health disorder one in six in Jersey, on our island. Statistically, there's probably about three children that we've just seen walk out this room. And I say all this to, to give a sense of understanding to the need that met Christ and the need that there's still today. Let me share more in a second, but can I ask, does, does anyone have a pound they could give me? Sorry for the... Does anyone have a pound? You know you're not going to get it back now. Anyone? Here we go, Phil. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask you again, just so you know. As that day in Bethsaida, there are thousands in need around us. And, and to be honest, coming to Jersey, I was, I was almost shocked in the first place to feel that there wasn't much need in Jersey when I first came here. But I've since found that there is need in Jersey. There is need in our communities. It's just sometimes harder to find. The big difference is that those 5,000 people back in Bethsaida, they knew where to find Jesus. And I don't think we can say the same about today. 
particularly as I've watched the news this last month, this, this big question comes to me, which is what on earth can we do in the face of such colossal need? Of such need in the world around us, what can we do about it? And I believe we're living in tough times where the brokenness of humanity around us is plain to see. It says this, the path The way of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You see, as we see the darkness around us, we have to realize that we are part of an ever-increasing light, you know, shining in the darkness until the fulfillment of God's kingdom in the return of Christ. Did you know that the church communities were the fulfillment of the Old Testament welfare laws designed to take care of people, the widows, the orphans? Did you know that the first public hospitals were set up by newly converted Roman Christians? The first free education to children in the UK were the Sunday schools, set up by the church. You see, in the dark times, this is where the church comes alive. This is where there's great need and the church responds. And, and, and in all of the darkness that I see around us, there's an excitement that builds inside of me because... It's our time to shine. There's need and it's our time to shine. And this is what we're investing in. When you give to this church, this is what we invest in. And we, every penny that comes into church, we take 10% of that and immediately give it to missions that go straight into caring for the poor and, and spreading the gospel. And then we maintain this house for the worship of God. We invest in his people, his purpose, his mission. This church, it pays a team of staff to to raise disciples, to advance the kingdom of God. This is what we do as we give into this church. So I'm going to ask again. Does anyone have a pound they could give me? Ian, I know you're ready. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Not many people carry cash nowadays, do we? Right. So as dusk approaches, back to Bethsaida, as dusk approaches, the disciples realize that the people aren't leaving. You know, still more require a touch of Christ, those, those words of life. And the disciples grow concerned. It says in verse 12, the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said to him, to Jesus, they said, send the crowd away to go into surrounding villages and countryside to find lodgings, to get provisions. For here we are in a desolate place. Now that comment tells me that that was probably something that was quite normal for Jesus and the disciples to do. It actually kind of sounds like the dutiful response of a rambling preacher's wife. You know, send them home so they can have their Sunday lunch, cut it, cut it, no. Okay, I I thought it sounded like that. But what it is, is a very honest response from the disciples. We don't have the resources to meet this level of need in front of us. How on earth can we even make a dent in this huge crowd? Who's ever felt that feeling of powerlessness when you're facing a big task ahead, yeah? Okay, friends. Could, could someone else give me a pound? You've got five pounds. I'll give you change in a minute. Oh, there's some up here. Let me get these. Jackie, I love your generosity. Let me... Thank you so much. Oh, James, can you help me out? Thank you. Don't worry, I'll be coming for you. (laughs) All right. So I love Jesus' response to this. So they just said, Jesus, we don't have enough. And Jesus turns to them and he says, 
Next one. You give them something to eat. Thank you, sir. I couldn't see it. You give them something to eat. Can you imagine their faces? 5,000 people in front of them. You give them something to eat. I, I can imagine it was similar to mine when we first started talking about raising funds for the Hope Centre. I love it. I, I could see Christ. You know, Jesus could have literally clicked his fingers and manna fallen from heaven for each and every one of those people. You know, quails pre-roasted, garnished with a bit of parsley on everyone's lap. Jesus can do that, right? Yeah? Amen? Instead, he turns to a group of people, or people just like us, who are absolutely incapable when he says, you do it. How crazy is that? You see, when we pray to God and we bring our need, he hears and he responds. He is moved and he intervenes. But how often does he require some action of ourselves in cooperation with him? He wants to partner with you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to partner with you. Oh, can, and can someone help me out? Sarah Pershad, I'm coming for you. Do you, have a, do you have a quid I can borrow? Thank you so much. This is great. But I, I said borrow accidentally there. You know what I mean, right? Give. Um, and this is the key part of our story today. See, God sees it. God sees the brokenness, the, the dysfunction. He sees the darkness and the pain. God sees Ukraine and God sees Putin. He sees the poor. He sees the elderly. He sees the sick. God sees it all and with one click of his fingers, he could respond with an immediate fix. We know he can. And, and, and we need to understand because of that, God doesn't need us. He didn't need his disciples to feed the 5,000. He fed 600,000 daily with bread and quails in that desert. What is 5,000 to God? But instead, God chooses partnership. Not for his sake. Certainly not for the people who probably would have preferred the quail and bread. But for our sake. For you and for me, for his partners. God chooses partnership for our sake. God choose, chose to commission us for our sake. He invites us in. I sometimes cook with oak. It's always eventful. And, and I basically I have to resign myself to the fact that there will be a certain degree of mess. And it, it, honestly, it would seem that children don't really have like a, a, a level of stirring that's gentle. It's kind of either it's like this or it's like this. And, and the walls get painted. That, that's really how it is. And, and the thing is, I'm quite confident I could do it quicker without him. And, and dare I say it, better as well. Um, and, and so in that, there's no immediately beneficial reason for me to do it with him other than, well, other than I enjoy my time with him. But we may need dinner or cakes. We need cakes every day. But we may need that that day for sure, but, but my focus when I invite him to cook with me is to enable him to do these things for himself so that one day he could do them for his children and teach his children. And so when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, we've got to change the narrative because this story isn't about 5,000 people getting lunch. They'd have survived. They could have just gone home like the plan, like they usually do. It isn't about the 5,000. It's about the twelve. It's about the disciples. It's about us as disciples. And it's not um, 
about the fish supper, but it's about these dynamic communities of disciples transforming the world around them. Turn to your neighbor and say, you give them something to eat. In a nice way. Give them a smile so they know. So going on, they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. I think they said that tongue in cheek because that would cost a lot. Speaking of costing a lot, does anyone have a pound they could give me? Sandra, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. Oh, brilliant. Look at this. This is working great. Oh, I've got to get cracking. This, this disciple's response is typically bewildered. We know from John's gospel that it was in fact a boy in the crowd who has five barley loaves and two fish. And these barley loaves are much cheaper than any made of wheat. And this food is befitting those who actually don't have much. This is for, for poorer people. And I can imagine in a crowd of 5,000, there was certainly likely to be someone with a bit more food. You know, the odd pasty here or there. Maybe a pizza. Certainly something more substantial than value bread and kippers. But for whatever reason, it wasn't offered to the Lord. Instead of them receiving the honor of serving the Lord, of seeing their offering advance his kingdom, we remember just one boy. And my, my role here at St. Matthew's exists in this church because we saw a need. We had faith in God's commission and we invested in it as a church. You know, we gave an offering to finance the, the role I'm in, and since then that's been absorbed into the main body of how we do uh, funds as a church. And this is why we promote a principle in the church of tithing, of, of giving a 10% of our income into the church, into the church mission. And for some, this is thousands. For others, this is less. But actually, everyone is bringing the same offering of commitment. You don't want to be the one person at the picnic eating your pizza while everyone else shares their rye bread. Families share. And this small boy, this pitiful basket, I reckon it'd be like us getting ready to dig the foundations for the Hope Center, you know, having an important meeting, discussing the needs for JCBs, and then one of our youth comes up with a dessert spoon and says they're ready to help. This is the level of support that that would have looked like. But it reminds me of the widow's might in Mark 12. <clears throat> Whilst many around that boy may have had more, he was willing to give all he had. And just like that widow in, in, in Mark 12, Jesus says of her that her gift was the greatest, not because of the amount she put in, but because of the cost to herself. That's what made it the greatest. Not because of what you put in, but actually the cost of it. And we could actually stop here for the day. This is like, this point is so huge. Our, our un, un, incalculably, uncalculably rich God and, and the church that he builds does not need your money. Instead, he yearns for the offering of your heart because where your treasure is, there your heart is. And this is a story for another day, but, but when you bring a wholehearted offering, the Lord breaks your heart for his kingdom and for his mission, for the poor and for the wounded, for those forgotten and those who mourn. He wants your heart, but actually where your treasure is, is where your heart is. It is an indicator of where your heart is. And I've learned that I would rather be broken in the hands of the potter than altogether in the eyes of the world.
I want my heart to be broken by him. So the boy offers his loaves and fish for the service of the disciples, for the work, the mission of the Lord. I need to ask, can someone give me one more pound? This is the last one, I promise. Oh, ever, there's so many. Oh, I'm going to go to Santa because she's closest. Excuse me. <clears throat> for there were about 5,000 men. This is verse 14. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. They made them all sit down. I can imagine this process of sitting everyone down in groups of 50s was a bit tricky. Uh, Definitely, if you've ever done any work with children, that is really hard. But but not without its meaning. You see, this task of feeding 5,000 was made even more possible, uh, was made even more impossible, sorry, by the lack of food. You know, this is a huge exercise of faith to feed 5,000. And Jesus mercifully breaks down the challenge as he teaches his disciples. I remember my mum doing this when I was a kid and I didn't want to eat my dinner and I absolutely could not get any more inside of me. She'd get my plate, she'd split it up into England, Ireland, Scotland and Wales and she'd say, oh Tim, just eat Wales in any Scotland and I get through Scotland and I complain and I couldn't fit any more in but then she'd say, well just do Ireland and I do Ireland. Anyone else done this with their kids, yeah? I think this is where Oak might get it from, to be honest. So, glad Jen's not here. But um, suddenly, before I knew it, this insurmountable task, which was going to ruin my whole evening, was suddenly accomplished, and I had eaten all of my vegetables. Jesus broke it down so that this exercise of faith that the disciples were on could be accomplished. He took one bit, and then another bit, and then another bit, and then another bit. And one by one, one fifty, and then another fifty people, this miracle happened. If I'd have said to you guys, who could give me seven pounds today? Now I know you're a generous bunch, so I probably would have got it, but that would have ruined the, the whole point of this. Instead, one by one, as, as one body and as one family, we have reached our goal. Seven pounds. And I believe there is someone here who, who, who this week, maybe even this morning, has been praying into the finances and saying, God, I'm not sure uh, how I'm quite going to do food bills for the month. Um, and this money's for you. And I want you to come to me at the end of the service and ask for it. And you might say, well, seven pounds. That's, that's not going to feed me for, for maybe for a day in this climate. But... I need you to know that this is your five loaves and two fish. This is a seed and watch what God will do with it. Come and find me at the end. Verse 16, he says this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. You see, after all the preparation, the offering of our widow's might, the goal setting an organization comes to the crucial part. It needs the blessing of God. And this is key. We all have plans and visions. We all wholeheartedly give of ourselves and our time and our money to it. But the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. James 1 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. Any plan or strategy that is achievable by man in spite of the power of God is a plan of man. 
If you can do it without God, then it's most likely a human variation of one of God's plans. God's heart is to grow our faith in his goodness and his provision and not of our own goodness and provision. In fact, if it looks impossible to man, then you're probably on the right line when it comes to the promises of God. The key to success in the mission God has called us to as a church is the blessing of heaven, not the blessing of earth. He took the loaves, he blessed them, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the crowd. And they did it. These, these guys going around with their basket, and I can imagine they went with a basket to the first 50, and they were probably like, no, oh, this isn't going to last 50 people. Five loaves and two fish. But as they were handing it out, you know, they, they're giving it away. They're starting to see this multiplication in the basket before their eyes. You know, we never should have done 50. Well, let's try the next 50 and just see what happens. You know, we're never going to be able to, to, to raise all that money, but let's just try this bit. Let's see what happens. Let's just go for it and trust in faith. And with each little step, God does it. I can imagine that boy, that young boy looking on and saying, but hey, that's my bread and that's my fish and look what the Lord is doing with it. In verse 17, it says this, they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken fish. 12 baskets of broken fish. I want to say to you that yes, God gives abundantly. But those 5,000 were already full. They didn't need more. But remember, this isn't about the 5,000. This was about the 12. 12 baskets of broken pieces for 12 disciples. 12 disciples broken. Broken for the gospel. Broken for the kingdom. Broken for faith. Broken for love. Broken for hope. Broken for the mission that God set before them. To go out into the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And this is the context. Remember I said, there's a bit that happened before this story. This is at the beginning of Luke. It says, he called the twelve together. He gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the context of this great miracle. It's about the mission of God through his disciples. And this is the true purpose of God's church. It's to be close to the poor, to the brokenhearted and the weak, because God cares for them. But his primary answer to this isn't charity, it's the church. It's God's church. If we reduce our faith to merely feeding the poor, never sharing the gospel, just meeting those fundamental needs, it's, it's God's heart. But, but if that's all our faith is, then there's other places to give money to, which that's their entire mission. But if our faith is about raising disciples who proclaim liberty to the captives, who feed the poor, who bind up the brokenhearted, who father the orphan, then bring your wholehearted offering here to the church, to St. Matthew's. Bring your widow's might and watch what God can do with it. Watch how he changes lives through his presence and his power and love at work in us and through us. Watch God build a hope center on this land, a shining beacon transforming our community and beyond. You see, this vision, this community is why I'm here today. I believe in the vision God has given us as a church. 
This is why Jen and I came and joined. And this is why we give 10% of our income every month into the mission of this church. We don't believe that we have to do it as a biblical law. But for us, it's, it's a really helpful biblical precedent to honor God with our first fruits. And I really want to encourage you as members of this church to join us in this. I should have said at the beginning, if you're not a member of this church, I'm not speaking primarily to you today. Really apologies. I should have said that first. I really want you to encourage us. If you can give regularly, that helps us steward our finances the best we can because we know what uh, is coming in every month. We have a standing order set up to do this and there's loads of ways you can do that. And if you're not sure how to give to the church, then let me know and I can help you work that out. The Bible talks about ways to give besides tithing, giving to the local church, to give to the poor, to fund missions overseas. And I want to encourage you to do that as well. You know, we tithe because we believe in what God is doing in this place. And we know that with our belief, if you believe in what he's doing here, he desires the offering of your heart because he wants to break it, friends. And he wants to use it. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So this morning, if I could sum up this, I am not asking you to feed the 5,000. I am asking you to give so that we can disciple 5,000 so that we can see this community and this island transformed through the presence and the power and the love of God as we come together as one body. That we'd see more stories like Sanna's, more disciples raised up in this church to change the world. More people sitting on either side of us transforming their communities and their workplaces as they go in and share God's love. To transform the world around us so it looks like on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to release the parents as well for, from your... <laughs> Let's just open up our hearts to him. Father, we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your wisdom. Jesus, I thank you that you taught your disciples so much about money because it's such an important thing to speak about. And Father, I really ask today that we would hear your truth in this. Father, I ask that, that every word that is just of me would fall to the ground, but your truth would fall in good soil in this church. I pray that you would excite our hearts for the mission of this church for the mission that you've called us to in this place Father I pray from that excitement we will be cheerful givers I just want to encourage you friends he wants your whole heart he wants every bit of you for his glory and as we give that's just one part of it but he wants your time and your passions. He wants the best of you. Your best gifts. He wants the things that bring you joy. All of that to be used for his glory. And so if you would give any offering today, I ask that you would just bring yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord and just say to him, God, have all of me.
why don't we just pray that together say God have all of me God would you have my passions God would you have my finances God would you have my dreams God teach me to use these things for your glory as an offering poured out before you Amen